when it comes to HR, what do you think is the best way to get the most out of your employees? Engage them. I think the best way is focusing on leadership development, managing and leading from the top, modelling all the behaviours, modelling the culture, modelling the values, the vision of the company and having that yeah. built into the way that you manage your staff. I, I don't know. I suppose keep them engaged and happy. Foster a, a culture in your organisation where people can be happy in their roles and learn and progress. Trying to create a culture of involvement and inclusiveness where everyone feels they can speak up and be part of what's going on and their opinion is valued no matter what level they're at. For We Teach Me, this is the Masters Series where industry professionals share their secrets to business success. I'm Sathil Shenalmish from Written and Recorded. In every episode of the Masters series, we hear from entrepreneurs and founders who have built successful businesses. Almost all of them say that their greatest challenge in business is employees. Finding, hiring and keeping employees that support your business goals and vision is easier said than done, even when you're a specialist in HR. Lisa Spiden is the founder and managing director of Fiber HR and knows from experience that culture flows from the top down. One particular business that I did work with, the leader themselves and the execs weren't that engaged in the particular vision. You just saw it filter through the rest of the business. People were taking sick leaves, they had high staff turnover. The actual environment just felt really flat. We'll hear from Lisa soon. First up, Tristan White is the founder of The Physio Co, who have a network of 150 staff across the country. Five years into the business, when he only had 20 employees, Tristan realised that he had created a big mess. Over the past decade, Tristan says he's cleaned up that mess and created a culture that supports the team and celebrates collaborative wins. So my story goes something like this. I was not a born entrepreneur. I grew up in a small town called Foster. And in the bush, 1,000 friendly people live in Foster. And I moved to Melbourne to study physiotherapy. And physiotherapy is an important part of my story. I am a physiotherapist. And when I finished uni, I felt that I had a real conflict with my head and my heart. My head told me I need to go in my career direction. My heart told me I didn't stomach the idea of working in a public hospital system. It just didn't feel right to me. And I moved back home to Gippsland. And I worked in a group of private practices where I got to see sports people, work in an elite AFL footy club in the evenings and on weekends, a little bit of hospital and aged care work. And that first job was such a blessing and such a challenge because I loved it and then I sort of hated it and after one year in the job that I thought was going to take me 10 odd years to get to I fell out of love with my career dream that was a really 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 tough time but what I did I reflected hard I thought about what I enjoyed doing as a physiotherapist I didn't tell a soul because I was embarrassed about what I discovered but I discovered that I liked working with older people. 
I started working in a small old nursing home in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. And I met George, George's older bloke, needed some help to get around, was bent at the knees, a bit of a lean to the left, and really hard work for George to get around. But I started working with him as his physiotherapist, helping him to improve his strength, his balance, his endurance, and his happiness. And I loved working with George. And so over the next year, I worked with George, his roommate Les, and some other residents of this nursing home. And then I got busier going to other nursing homes and other nursing homes. And after the first year, I needed to ask for help. I couldn't help all the Georges and Leses and Mavises that I need to help. And it was that point that the Physio Co, that is today with close to 150 team members helping people like George to stay mobile, safe and happy, was born from me swallowing my pride, reflecting on what was important to me, and being humble enough to dive in to what made my heart sing. And so, as the Physio Co started, this was a flying by the seat of your pants adventure of growing a team. I had no idea what culture was. I learned about culture about five years in. All I was doing, serving my clients as best I could, saying yes to opportunity, encouraging people to join our team and moving forward in the fastest, most effective way I could. I created something that from the outside looked growing, impressive, helpful, useful. From the inside, I'd created a big mess. I started the PhysioCo in 2004. Five years in, got about 20 team members. No idea what culture is, didn't really know what this business stuff was. I got to a point I felt completely trapped and stuck inside our business. I'm a bit of a tackle a problem and get stuck into it sort of bloke. And so I did something which was one of the biggest risks I've ever taken in my business career. That was I left. I didn't leave forever, but I left for three weeks. I went from Melbourne to North America. I visited some seniors healthcare businesses in America and in Canada. A wonderful, wonderful business called Nifty After 50. Chain of gyms for older people in Orange County, California. I came back and I had my solution. I had the idea. I was gonna create a purpose-driven, values-based business which would be the foundation of how we would then scale, grow, and tidy up this big fat mess that I'd created. If there's one learning from my career, from a business perspective, it is choose a model, choose an idea, choose something to follow along. I don't have all the answers, but other people have done it. And if someone's done it before, learn from them, grow from them, tailor it to what you can do, but really, really do learn from others. What's I've just described is what I called the fifth year struggle. And it's nice to give names to challenges in your life once you've moved through them. At the time, it's like hell. But like we all know, when you're going through hell, keep on going. But one thing I want to describe about having a strong culture, purpose-driven, values to guide the behaviours in every business, but it's so very important that we have a really clear vision as to where the business is headed. Because how the hell can any team members follow, grow, challenge themselves, and move the business in the direction they want it to go if they don't know what the vision is and where they're going? So as the founder, that's our job to clarify, communicate, 
and over communicate and over communicate and over communicate and then do it again as to where we're headed. I reckon that we need a pretty long-term goal. Now, Jim Collins in his famous book, Good to Great, talks about a big, hairy, audacious goal. And a BHAG should be between 10 and 25 years or thereabouts. I'm now a risk taker, but not that big a risk taker. So I hung on the 10 year end. And so a 10 year obsession is our North Star, where we're headed. So if a challenge comes up, are we gonna work through what is our core purpose? To help seniors stay mobile, safe and happy. Great, let's continue with that purpose. Behaviours, core values, we know exactly how we should be acting. And a vision, where are we headed? And so a 10 year obsession is what we created in 2009. The 10 year obsession for the Physio Co was from our little team of 20 people to grow at 35% per year, per year, per year, per year for 10 consecutive years, so that at the end of 2018, we will have delivered 2 million consultations to help Australian seniors stay mobile, safe and happy. That's a big goal, we've been tracking it for 10 years and making good progress. We have had years where we have smashed the yearly goal and we've had years where it's really sucked and we've really struggled. But where we are right now, almost at the 10 year obsession, is we are close to 1.5 million consultations delivered since 2009, with our goal of 2 million consults by the end of this year. It is likely that we'll land at 1.6 million consultations delivered to Australian seniors in aged care homes, retirement villages, and their own homes between 2009 and 2018, which is partly disappointing and partly completely fine because we will likely hit 2 million consults the 31st of December 2019, and it may just take us 11 years to hit our 10-year goal. And I, for one, think that is A-OK. -okay. Our business has grown from 20 people to about 150. We're going to deliver over 2 million consults in 11 years. We've won wonderful awards for being a great place to work. But all of that means nothing if we're not serving our community and helping seniors stay mobile, safe and happy. And it's been a wonderful experience for 10 years to be one of Australia's best places to work. For me, two weeks ago, to have our group at Amy Park and have over 100 people in a room, a full day of the learning, flying in from all around the country was a wonderful, wonderful, proud experience. But this is not about celebrating, this is about sharing experience. And so from my perspective, there's been so many things I've had to learn as a person, as a physiotherapist, as a team leader, as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, as a husband, as a father, as a volunteer. But the one thing that I think I'd love to share as the most significant thing that I've had to figure out, and this is an idea of mine, and that is that in any team or any relationship, there's this never ending continuum between caring for and focusing on the people in your team at one end, and at the very other end is outcome or business performance. And in my experience, I spend more of my time caring for and spending too much time, I naturally gravitate towards the people end of the spectrum, which is probably why I'm a physiotherapist in the first place, and probably part of this strong business we've achieved. But in some really tough times, some crap times where cash is getting tight, difficult moments with clients, retention, our team might be having dips because we've had all of those challenges. Sometimes 
I find myself focusing more and more and more on the numbers and the business performance. And when I focus on that end, we lose momentum on the culture. But when I focus too much time on caring for and engaging with our individual team members, we don't always get the performance we're looking for. Be really clear that there is this continuum of people end and business outcome end. And if you spend too much time focusing on one or the other, then you don't have that balance right. I learned that from a business perspective, but it applies to nearly everything in my life. I've got three little kids at home, and if I don't engage with them in a way which is both caring and making sure I'm leading them and helping them in the right direction, our relationship doesn't work out. It's hard, but it can be done, and if someone else has done it, you can do it too. And I've had an interview with a wonderful, wonderful mentor of mine just a couple of weeks ago. Her name is Emma Isaacs from Business Chicks. And I said to Em, what is the one piece of advice you wish you'd known a long time ago? And she said, to believe in myself. And as I reflect on that conversation with Emma Isaacs and I think about my own journey, that's one thing that I haven't done enough of, and that is believe in myself, care for myself, look after myself, learn, grow, challenge, stretch, rest, and do it all again. Because that's the job that we've got as individuals, as humans, and as business owners. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much. So when it comes to building a team, flying by the seat of your pants is not the way to go. Thanks, Tristan. We'll take a closer look at building a healthy culture in your business with Lisa Spiden of Fibre HR right after this. Masters Series is presented by We Teach Me. If you've got a skill to share, We Teach Me is your one-stop shop to create your educational event, reach your students and manage bookings. Share your gifts with others at weteachme.com. This podcast is produced by Written and Recorded. Podcasting is a special way to communicate with your audience, using all of your emotions to really tell your story. Do it in high quality at writtenandrecorded.com. And now, back to the podcast. Thanks, Ad Guy. Lisa Spiden is the founder and managing director of Fibre HR, and she's passionate about working with brands to create high-performing teams. In this fireside chat with We Teach Me's Wayne Lewis, Lisa says the leader of a business is always on show. So it's important to model the values of the business and remember the impact that your mood can have on the rest of the team. I fell into HR doing some work over in London in the human resources area. My first proper HR gig, I would say, would be at Barclays Capital in London doing human resources generalist type of work. At Foster's, I had many different HR gigs, including international mobility, so looking after all the people who went overseas and looking at how we equalise their tax in different countries and all different elements of human resources, which was relatively complex at the time, but a fun role. Went to Just Group probably about 12 or so years ago, and it was probably my first real commercial HR gig, and it's because of the person that I actually worked for and the fact that it was in retail. 
I'd worked in human resources for many years and thought I was pretty good at it, got some pretty good feedback, but it wasn't until I got to the Just Group that I actually worked out that everything I did in human resources had to lead to a, an actual benefit for the organisation. Retail, as people would know, is really fast-paced, really low margin, you're doing everything on a shoestring and really impact-driven. You're looking at things that you're doing one day and how it actually is affecting store and sales the next day. So Just Group is Just Jeans, Portman's, Peter Alexander, Smiggle, seven retail brands. And so it was the first role that I actually, I felt such a huge sense of achievement working in that particular business because the things that you were doing, you could literally go into store the next day and see how it was actually affecting the people. If it was actually working and people were enjoying what you're doing and you could actually tell if it was making a difference to the business. And from that, I worked on a particular project, which I, I won't <laughs> bore you with, but, but a particular project around retention and how do we make sure that we had the right people in stores and what have you. And I had a number of people come to me, other retailers, and ask me to do the same thing in their business. And so I went out and thought, I'll just do some consulting until I run out of work and then I'll go and get a real job again. And nine years later, I'm still looking, waiting to go and get that real job. But I'm really lucky in that time, I've started my own HR consulting business, Fibre HR, that I've had for nine years. I've worked with some amazing brands. I learned so much from these incredible entrepreneurs and businesses that I work with. I've worked with Carolyn Kressel from Carmen's. I've worked with Catch of the Day when they had three people, Kiki K. I absolutely love working these brands and seeing what they're actually doing. And I'm learning about culture, people, business, what's actually working in these particular businesses. And, and I find that really inspiring. About four years ago, I started a second business and that business is called Roster Right. And that's looking at mathematically constructing rosters in the retail, hospitality, aged care, healthcare spaces. And so I've got two businesses that run from my offices and they're completely different businesses, different cultures, different type of work. And the nine years of consulting and the work I did at Just Group and previously just gives me a huge amount of different experience and insight into culture and what actually leads to, I guess, great culture. But right now, I run Roster Right on a day-to-day -day basis. I've got someone else running Fibre HR, but I'm still really across that business. So I've only got about, not like Tristan, who's got a beautiful empire over there. I've only got about 15 staff. It's quite little, but as I say to the team, little things can make a big impact. Mosquitoes are a nightmare. They can make a big impact on your barbecue. We're the same, little but hopefully making a big impact. And how does the culture look in both of your businesses? So it varies over time and I think culture isn't stagnant and it's not something that can be fabricated. One business is highly technical. So in the roster right business, I've got two individuals who are optimization mathematicians and there's only 20 of the people in Australia who've got the skills to do the maths that they're doing. That business, along with the other team that I've got around them, is very end task focused, very clear on what they're actually doing. It's a really tight culture in that particular business on the basis that the vision is very clear and you've got people who don't need a lot of leadership. I could not do the maths they're doing. I'd add absolutely zero value getting up in front of them and trying to tell them how to do their job. What I can do is point them in the right direction of what we're trying to do commercially and they can solve the problem themselves. So that is very interesting compared to my other business. The other business has got amazing people, lovely culture. It's a little bit more reliant on the leader in that business because that leader is really setting the vision and the passion. So 
depending on what stage of the business is at, depends on you know how that business is feeling from a cultural perspective. So it's actually interesting sitting in literally one room with 15 people and you can actually see two different cultures going on in the businesses. All the people are awesome, but the cultures are definitely very different. For me, the culture isn't about one certain element. I've worked with businesses that have got basketball courts in their offices or foosball tables or they have drinks every Friday night. And for me, what I've seen over my journey is it's not one element that actually creates culture and you can't fabricate it. If you don't have the right people, the right leadership, clear vision, it doesn't matter how cool all the whiz-bang things that you've got around the business are, the culture is made up of a whole lot of different elements, starting from leadership and vision and having the right people in the business. The other cool things are little cherries on top as opposed to what creates culture. And how do you know if culture is working? When culture's working, you've just got a really unified team who are working all together on one particular vision. The discretionary effort is insane. We were doing a piece of work for a client and we needed to hit a deadline of the Friday or what have you. The entire team, without me asking, without me even knowing, literally worked 24-7, literally overnight. All of them were working to get this piece of work actually done. I'm devastated because I've never ever expected or asked or would want my team to actually be working 24-7. They had so much pride in the work that they were doing, they refused to actually let it not hit the particular deadline. And so the discretionary effort of a culture when you've got people aligned is just insane around what they'll go over and beyond to actually help the business achieve the certain goal. It's easy to recruit when you've got a great culture. Clients can feel it, you know, the actual quality of work, the fact that they're actually really proud of where they work. There's so many elements that just stand out when culture's working really well. And you can feel it. If you walk into a business, you can feel straight away whether it's actually got a vibe of people actually wanting to be there, as opposed to everyone taking off at four o'clock and you know, taking as many sick days as they can and not actually wanting to be around. On the flip side, when culture's not great, and I've seen this before, even some of the large FMCG businesses that pay their staff really well, they've got all the whiz-bang benefits, they were having to pay salaries that were significantly higher than their competitors because to attract talent the only way they could get them was through dollars you know people didn't want to work there so they actually had to pay to get talent to come to them when it's not working well you've got huge amounts of sick leave you're dealing with a whole lot of politics and people issues that you don't really have to and you don't have to resolve when it's all really working well how do you monitor that and make sure you're on top of it actually just talking to your staff and actually asking the question. I talk to a lot of managers who are doing performance reviews and they're too scared to ask their staff if they're happy and they're too scared to ask if they're actually going to stay around in the business because they don't want to hear the answer if they're not. And for me, I would way rather ask the question of what's keeping you here and what would make you leave because at least I've got the opportunity to address it if they're going to leave and see if I can actually turn it around rather than sort of putting my head in the sand and waiting for a resignation. So for me, finding out how culture is going is asking the question, how's it going? You know, if you know it's not going well and you don't want to hear it, obviously you're not going to ask the question, but then you're obviously okay with having potentially a poor culture in your business. At what point did you think, okay, I need to actively install a culture? Obviously you worked in the HR space, that gave you some insights. Can you advise when to introduce that and how? Well, culture is pretty much minute one when you've got staff. So for me, it's not a formal introduction of culture by the fact that you actually are running a business and the fact that you have any staff at all if you do you've got a culture whether it's a good bad or indifferent culture there is a culture that exists when to address it obviously you're constantly monitoring it and making sure that it's where you want it to be but in terms of setting the culture right from the start the core things that really influence culture is leadership so having strong leadership having clarity of vision and a really inspiring vision 
you know, where people actually want to be a part of it and buy into it. Having the right team, I've seen small businesses that have got one person that's not the right fit that can completely affect the culture of the entire business. So dealing with poor performance or managing people who are not the right fit for your business is really important. But I do know of businesses that have had people who haven't been the right fit for their businesses but have needed them technically. And they've sort of come to us previously and looked at ways to actually keep that people in the business but not affect the culture. And one scenario, I'm not suggesting that this is the way to go, but I've seen one particular business where they actually encourage that person to work from home, which sounds a little bit crazy, but it worked. From the actual office perspective, people actually enjoyed coming to work. They weren't actually influenced by this person. This person thought it was great because the reason they weren't a great fit is they knew they weren't a great fit and they were happy to do the work and do it from home. And I guess all I'm saying is really addressing what is the issue with the culture and then working out if there's a way to you know, address that, whether it's out, up, around, whether it's even just having an honest conversation with someone around fish. Can you give us maybe an example of the worst case scenario, something that you've seen that stands out to you? So one particular um, business that I did work with, the leader themselves and the execs weren't that engaged in the particular vision for whatever reason. And you just saw it filter through the rest of the business. People were taking sick leaves, they had high staff turnover, people would come to work late, leave late, really didn't put any discretionary effort. They'd kind of do the minimum effort that was required in their job and you could just feel the quality of the work. The actual environment just felt really flat. Not long after, some new executives were actually brought in and you can just feel the vibrancy. People actually are challenging things that are happening in the business question because they actually care. You know, it's coming from a good spot and it just feels very different. So culture can be affected by many different elements. I think it's just about being able to work out what culture you want to create in your business. And what does the future hold for Fibre HR? Do you have the long-term 10-year plan? And maybe what Tristan talked about before, the 25-year plan? <laughs> I've got more of a 25-year plan for roster right in that I know what that business is going to look like and that's hitting overseas markets. But I've got a, a revenue target and sort of domination in that market. We're lucky because no one else in the world is doing what we're doing. So that's a really cool business. In terms of Fibre, my vision has been the same year on year. You know, a win for me is if it is the same in 10 and 15 years time. And that is to work with some inspirational entrepreneurial businesses and provide HR support to help them be the best businesses they can. So I describe us as Sherpas to their businesses. We don't want to take the glory. We've navigated many HR obstacles and challenges along the way. And we want to use our learnings to help other amazing businesses reach their Everest. So that in itself is an amazing goal because over that 10 years, it might be another thousand incredible entrepreneurial businesses we get to work with. And that for me is inspiring. So it's not really about world domination for that particular business or tripling the size of that business. It's just around continuing to do amazing work with amazing people and adding value. Excellent. Great answers. Guys, can you join me in a round of applause for Lisa Spiden? Even though I love the idea of a business with a cherry on top, it sounds like no amount of perks will make up for bad corporate culture. Thanks, Lisa, and thank you, Tristan, as well. Next time on Master Series, how to turn your passion into your business. Wait, I could, I could have a business based around watching Netflix? No. Okay, I guess not every passion can be a business. Or maybe it can. I can't wait to find out in the next ep. Until then, I'm Sadhna Shinamish from Written and Recorded. 
And for We Teach Me, this is the Masters Series.